Um, yeah, it's funny because I've actually been told by um, my energy healer, like when I had my first energy healing done. Yeah. He's like, you, there's a book in you. I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> oh, there's probably like 20 books in you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Elevated Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Janessa McKenzie, an intuitive business and mindset coach to inspired, success-driven solopreneurs like you who are ready to show up like a badass boss and create the impact and income they desire. It's my mission to help you see who you were created to be so you can share your gifts with the world and make a difference. My approach to business is not what most would call normal. Thank God, because being weird and unapologetic about it is my jam. On this podcast, we mix the woo with the do to help you create the space, energetics, and strategy to attract the clients and cash you really want while unapologetically showing up as who you are so you can design the business and life you desire from the inside out. So if you're ready to say peace to settling, hiding, half-assing, and dimming your light, and yes to having the abundant, profitable business and life of your dreams without living on the edge of exhaustion and overwhelm, Listen up as I hit the BS button on the extremely outdated perception that you need to hustle or be something you're not to be successful. Thank you so much for being here today. Now let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elevated Entrepreneur Podcast. I am Janessa and I'm here with Michelle Culp today and she helps high-level entrepreneurs who have a message to share with the world. She helps them give birth to their book and also to get their book on the top of the bestseller list so readers can find them. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Awesome. Uh, just talking before we started, really started, and you know, everyone knows where I am. I'm right outside of Boston, and it's freaking cold here today. So, <laughs> But that is uh, about it. So if anyone hears the whistling wind in the, in the background yeah, today, that is it. It's very windy today. So Michelle, tell us more about you. Like, you know, tell us all about the things. Yeah. So I never thought I'd be a midwife to help people give birth to their books. Um, but that's apparently <laughs> what I've become over the years. Beautiful. <laughs> I didn't start out that way. In fact, um, when I was uh, 17 years old, I was sitting in business law class and I said, oh my God, I love the law. I'm going to be a lawyer. I like, I knew like 17 years old, I'm going to be a lawyer. That's, that's my, that's my career path, my calling. And I, I did go to college and I studied law, but I didn't, I became a paralegal instead of an attorney because I got married and had three kids and then never finished that career path. Um, but I, but I loved being a paralegal for 17 years. It, it was a great career um, until it wasn't. And uh, who called, there is a book I read and he calls it career creep. And I'm th trying to think of which book it is. Um, and career creep is when you have a job and like, like say you, you love 75% of what you do. And then there's 25% you don't love, um, which is, which is typical, but usually if, if there's 75% you love, you're pretty happy at your job. But at the end of my 17 years, it was reversed. I was, I hated about 75% of what I was doing. Things had changed. And that's what career creep is. Mm. It's like the little things you do at work, or they give you more responsibilities that you didn't want, or you're, you're doing all these things. You're like, I didn't sign up for this. So at the yeah. end, of the 17 years, I was waking up literally going, I don't want to go to work. I got to call mm -hmm. sick. I can't stand this job. I hate it. But yet I'm now I'm divorced with three young kids. And I'm like, I, I don't know anything else to do for a career. So um, as fate would have it, um, 
Do you remember Billy Ray Cyrus? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hart? Okay. So I meet Billy Ray Cyrus after a concert in 1992. I chased down his limo with a friend of mine. I end up <laughs> in his hotel room. And I know people think like, well, that sounds crazy. Why would you chase Billy Ray Cyrus down? But you have to, you have to have the context of my life at the time. Going through a divorce, my ex-husband wasn't paying child support. He was kind of, you know, like a deadbeat dad. Um, my older brother was diagnosed with AIDS and was dying. I was struggling financially to pay the bills. And so it was a very dark time at my li- in my life. And um, all of a sudden, a neighbor came over and gave me, it was like a tape of Billy Ray Cyrus. And I was like an 80s rock and roll girl. I'm like, who's this guy? And then I looked, I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. Who- yeah. <laughs> And uh, they're like, oh, you got to listen to this song, Achy Break Your Heart. I think your kids would like it. Well, it was a very addictive tune. I mean, the, the, yeah. the song went on to sell like 17 million copies. And it, it was it was a thing back then. So anyways, the, the same neighbor told me Billy Ray Cyrus was playing on my birthday. Mm. And I immediately thought, well, that's because I have Billy Ray and I are going to meet. And he has something really important to tell me. And my friends are like, Michelle, you've lost your mind. The stress yeah. is getting to you. Oh, by the way, I ended up in the hospital. They thought I was having a heart attack because I was having heart palpitations. And they asked mm. me if I had any stress, to which I said no, because I was like 29 years old and I didn't know what stress was. I was like, no. I work three jobs. I have three kids. My brother's dying. You know, my ex-husband won't pay child support. I'm taking him to court, you know, like, no, yeah, but no stress. stress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No stress. Um, so Billy Ray was like the light at, at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? He was like, I'm going to meet him and he has something that's going to change my life. And I held on to that belief with everything. And I recruited one of my crazy friends from high school, Jackie, and we went to this concert and we tried to get backstage. We got kicked out four times of the Patriot <laughs> Center where he was playing. And I said, Jackie, we can't give up. We, we got to meet Billy Ray Cyrus. So he comes out in the limo and he's like signing autographs. And I'm just sitting in my car waiting for all the women to get out of there so I can meet Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> I got to talk to him. Well, anyways, he does all his his uh, signing of autographs and um, he leaves in the limo. So I decide I'm following the limo. It could be going to New York. I mean, we're in Virginia. I'm like, <laughs> didn't I'm even care. wherever the limo's going, I'm following Billy Ray. Now I'm running running red lights. I'm going through stop signs. I'm acting like, an ins- you know how you get on that adrenaline high and you're not even like, like you're just crazy now. Yeah, like there is no logic. There's no logic. And so I'm running red lights and I'm chasing this limo down along with a lot of other women. In fact, it kind of looked like an Elvis Presley thing where they used to chase him, you know, and go crazy. Like that's how it was. So we get to the Hilton Hotel. Billy Ray goes in the side door with his very big bodyguard. And all these women come running in. And my girlfriend jumps out of the moving car and goes, I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to him and tell him to wait for you. It's your birthday. And she runs out of the car. And I was like, okay. So I park in the handicapped spot. I go in the side door, Billy Ray's with all these women. He's in the elevator with the bodyguard and he sees me. Now I have to tell you, now I also, I wrote a book called Red Dress Energy and it's part of this story. I wore a red spandex dress. Remember, I was 29 years old, mm-hmm. with red pumps and red lipstick. And I thought, well, all the women are going to be in their country music outfits, right? Their jean jackets and their mm-hmm. cowboy boots. I'm going to stand out in my red dress. Billy Ray will notice me. So I walk in and he literally pulls me into the elevator with him. Uh. 
And, um, and uh, I said, I said, today is my birthday. And so he signed two things for me. Now you're going to laugh when I tell you the two things he signed. I don't know why I was carrying this book called Creative Visual- Visualization by Shakti Gawain. Mm-hmm. Signed the book. It wasn't his book. It was yeah. like, <laughs> I was doing these visualizations so I could meet him. So he signs my book. He signs a t-shirt. And he gives me a red rose. And then Steve goes, all right, Billy Ray is going upstairs for the night. Everybody get out. Everybody get out of the um, elevator. And so he, they, they literally go upstairs and um, all the women are standing there. And my girlfriend says, what are we going to do? I said, we got to get rid of the competition. So let's pretend like we're leaving. And then everybody, I feel like everyone will just leave like, oh, it's over. And then we come back in because we are going to meet Billy Ray Cyrus. So anyways, got rid of the women, come back in, push every button in the elevator to see if they blocked off the floor. Cause that's what they, I, I was a cocktail waitress at the Sheridan hotel in, in my college days. And they used to block off the floor where the celebrities stayed. So nobody mm-hmm. could get to the floor. But on this this night, they didn't block off the floor. All all the lights lit up. I think it was like 15 floors of the elevator. So I said, well, we'll just go to every floor and we'll find, we're going to find Billy Ray on one of these floors. So we finally get to the 12th floor and I look down the hall and I see the bodyguard. His name was Steve. And Steve um, comes out and sees me coming down the hallway and he says, um, you're, you're not going to talk to Billy Ray Cyrus. He is in for the night. And um, I start arguing with him and he says, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call hotel security. I will have you thrown out of here. Like, you think you're the first girl that wants to meet Billy Ray Cyrus? I was like, no. And then I gave him some sob story, but he didn't buy it. (laughs) Get out now. I'm calling security. So um, my girlfriend was getting nervous and she was like, Michelle, I want to, I want to go to jail. I was like, all right, fine. So we go back to the elevator and I said, Jackie, the only thing standing between me and my dreams is a hallway. And we're like, if I have to camp out right here at this elevator, Billy Ray has to come downstairs in the morning. Like I'm going to meet him. She's like, all right, well, that sounds crazy, but uh, we can't sleep here all night. I said, I know that's not a good idea. All right. So the, anyways, get fast forward. There was a house phone on the counter I picked up the house phone. There's a little sign that said room 1220 to 1223. Pick up the phone, dial 1223, because I saw Billy Billy Ray was in the last room, and so was the bodyguard. Billy Ray answers the telephone. <laughs> he was in the room across the street from the, I mean, across the hall from the bodyguard. He answers the phone, and I said, um, he goes, who's this? And I said, it's the, it's the birthday girl. And he said, you mean the girl in the red dress? So he, see, my, yeah. my plan worked about the red yeah. dress. Yeah. Anyways, long story short, I made it to Billy Ray's room. I won't tell you all the details. I was <laughs> in there for probably about three hours. And, um, and he really did change my life. And this is why I, I feel it's important to always tell this story because Billy Ray asked me, he said, listen, they called me an overnight success. He goes, I've been playing music my whole life. I've been playing in bars, not getting paid, traveling from state to state because it's my passion. It's, it's what I love. He goes, what are your dreams? And I said, I don't have any dreams. My life's about survival. He goes, no, um, mm-hmm. he goes, it might be right now because, but everybody has a dream. And he goes, you want, you must make me a promise that you'll go out and figure out your dream. And then once you figure it out, never, ever give up on it. Will you promise me that? So I promised Billy Ray, I'm going to go find my dream. And, um, and so I did get a birthday kiss, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Um, it was my birthday, you know, after all. 
But um, no, he was he was really a gentleman. He was a very, very nice guy. And I feel like it was kind of lonely, you know, traveling by himself. And I think he was just happy to have company. And we mm. just talked for hours and stuff. He was really nice. So he um, so I I go out for a year and I look for this elusive dream that I'm supposed to find. Now, when you're in survival mode, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to this. Like, I'm not thinking about dreams. I got to pay my rent and my electric yeah. bill and and. Um, and not get the water turned off. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't even ever consider that, but I was so miserable with everything going on. I I really wanted to figure out this dream thing. So I go to the bookstore and I find a book called how to find your mission in life by Richard Bowles. Now he wrote a book called what color, what color is your parachute, which is like this big career. It helps you find your career path. Mm-hmm. And I look in the book and it, there's one sentence that changed my life. And it says, what do you love to do where you lose all sense of time? Yeah. And I was like, okay, when I was a kid, I liked writing poetry and essays and reports. Like all my friends hated writing reports for school. I mm-hmm. actually liked writing the reports and the essays. And, and even when I was in the legal field, like legal research and legal writing were my two favorite things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guess that's my dream. Cause the only thing I could think of is like five hours could go by and it seemed like five minutes to me. And, yeah. and, and so I was like, this gotta be my dream. Writing's it. Oh my God. I found my dream. I was so excited. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, except except for the fact that um, I go out, you know, I'm like, okay, how do how do you become a writer? Like, I don't have a degree in journalism or anything, so I kind of go the backdoor route, and I get a job as um, well after I get fired from the law firm, um, which I, I was miserable there anyway. So mm. you know, I end up getting fired from the law firm, and I didn't want to ever go back into that world. It was like just sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to pursue this writing thing. And so I got a job at the newspaper, and I became, you know, it was like the local newspaper, and I became a reporter for a while. I was basically doing multiple streams of income. I was teaching classes. I was um, writing. I was a freelance um, reporter. And he offered me, they offered me a full-time job. But when I found out the salary for a reporter is half of what I was making as a paralegal, I was like, I'll go broke being a reporter. So I I did it freelance so I could get, you know, sort of, you know, credibility and learn. And the editor of the newspaper taught me so much. So, um, so that was kind of my journey from legal to, to, um, figuring out that writing really was my passion. And then um, back then you had to go through the publishing houses, right? Mm-hmm. If you wanted to get a book published, there wasn't Amazon. So yeah. I tried to, I tried really hard to get a book published. I had a manuscript and I sent it out and I had like 50 rejection letters. And I was like, I guess I'm not going to be a writer. I don't, I don't understand. And then, and then one of the big five publishing houses um, called me up from New York and they had my manuscript on the desk. And they said, we love your book. It was called Woman Take Hold of Your Power, 50 Ways, Subconscious Ways Women Give Away Their Power. I'm only laughing at that because I actually, uh, I think it was actually just this last podcast episode that I released before today. So um, we're recording today on 3-2. So yesterday's release was actually a story about... Um, my my own like giving away my own power and how to how I took it back wow I have to listen yeah. to that yeah yeah and 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 actually the stories in the book were like me and my girlfriends and stuff and the guy from the, the from the publishing house he's like 
oh, well, do you, do you have, um, you know, what credentials do you have? Like, this is a self-help book for women. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, do you have a PhD? I'm like, no. I would I- like, yeah, from life. <laughs> I have something better. These, I didn't make up this, like, this isn't for, like from a book or theory. Like, this is what I lived and my friends lived. And they go, oh, well, you know, we really like it. But um, you don't have a PhD and, and we, it's just business. Don't take it the wrong way. We're sorry, but, you know, we can't publish your book. And um, I was like, well, like, it's like, did he crush my dreams or did he kind of give me affirmation that my writing was good enough to get them to call me? Right. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to look at it like that. Like, um, like my writing was good enough that they literally, if I had a PhD, they would have published my book. Mm-hmm. And back then that was a big deal. Now, now it's not as big of a deal, but um, so I didn't get my book published and, uh, then Amazon comes around in 2011, I decide to publish my first book and a year later I have zero sales mm. and I'm like, Oh, Amazon <laughs> just hit publish and people just magically find your book. No, that's not how it works. Um, Amazon has like right now, I think it's like 40 million books on there. Like, so if yeah. you get published, you're just gonna go into the abyss of what is Amazon And if anybody listening knows what SEO is, search engine optimization, getting your website to show up on page one of Google, it's Mm. the same thing in Amazon. In order to get your book visible, you need to be on one of their many bestsellers lists. They have Mm -hmm. thousands of them, actually. So uh, once I realized, like, there's this whole thing on Amazon that you need to be on the bestsellers list, I was attending an event. It was a National Speakers Association event, and there was a woman teaching a class called How to Be an Amazon Bestselling Author. And I was like, oh, my God, I need you. I don't understand Amazon. Please help me. I was, like, begging this woman. And she goes, okay, I'll help you. <laughs> and she did. And we launched another book. And in one day, 2,128 people got my book. And I was like, oh, my God, now I understand. You have to do book launches. And you have to know keywords and categories and bestsellers lists. And you really need to understand the platform. Mm. Of course, you have to have a good book. It's not going to do well long term if you don't write a good book and have a good cover and all that course all the foundational pieces of a good book yeah but anyways I I launched that book and what so when I started doing that um I had started a a website called become a sixfigurewoman.com and I started that after I left the legal field because I got into outside sales and I I doubled my time off and my income I was making six figures and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna teach women to make six figures and so I had become a sixfigurewoman.com And when they saw me starting to publish books, they were like, can you help us? And that's how a lot of my programs have developed. I'm sure you can relate, right? You do something and they get people go, oh, we want to do that. Like whatever you're doing, we want to do it. Like probably your podcast. How do you start a podcast? I want to have a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everything that you do as an entrepreneur, when somebody sees you do something new and then be consistent with it and become successful with it, they're like, show me how you did that. Yep. Yeah. So, and so these people started coming and the funny thing was I didn't have quality control back then. Um, I was, I was like, Oh yeah, I can get it to the bestsellers list. And I wasn't really, I wasn't like editing the books or I didn't have anything to do with the books. I was just like, they would get, they would say, here's the book. And I would do my thing. I would do the categories, the keywords, the book launch, get it on the bestsellers list and all that. And then I realized, uh, yeah, these books aren't going to stay on the bestsellers list unless they are really good quality. And some of them were not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So when I started working with my coach in 2014, he's like, Michelle, you need a done for you program. Like you need mm-hmm. to get, you need to have the editing, the formatting, the cover design, you know, the, like the whole package that like just give everything they need to be successful. Mm. And then also to build a profit path around your book. Yes, you can make royalties from your book, but you can make a whole lot more money on the back end by selling something because it, it will attract people to your business. I mean, that's why many entrepreneurs write books as, as we all know. So yeah, it's um, like a, almost a form of marketing to write a book. It it really, it really is. And I know there's many forms, you know, you can do webinars, you can write books, you can have a podcast, but really uh, books are a form of marketing. And what really changed my, my business recently was in January, 2020, I decided to write a book a month for an entire year. Whoa. Yeah, another crazy thing that I did. Um, not you, sure. You don't go. You don't go small, do you? <laughs> no. And the reason the reason I decided to write a book a month. Okay, so when I I published like a few books in the past, but because I got so busy with clients' books, like I wasn't writing any books of my own. Like I, mm. I wrote a couple here and there, but I never like really marketed them heavily or did anything with them. So I was really focused on my clients. And then um, I read this article on written word media and it said the average author who makes six figures and passive income from their books has 28 books. So I thought, oh my God, I'm going to write a book a month. And when I hit 28 books, I better be at six, six figures. Like I'm going to do passive income, six figures, goal. That's right. Cause I want to make money literally while I sleep. Yes. I love my clients and I, and I do a high ticket done for you and it's wonderful, but it's not passive income. There's something magical. Like when you go to sleep and wake up and there's more money in your bank account. Um, yeah. It's, it's You're like, Whoa, that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. So um, in 2019, my income for, for my books, which they were old at this point was $500 for the whole year. In 12 months, I got to $3,200 in passive income by writing a book, one short book a month, 100 pages or less. Hmm. And now some of those books flopped, but guess what? Three or four of them are, are generating 80% of that 30. Now it's up to 3,300 right now. So um, I figure by the end of this year, I'm going to be close to making six figures in passive income. Now I'm not writing a new book every month this year. Cause I did that last year and that was, um, that was hard. That was not easy to do. Yeah. Um, cause it, you know, it was just like a tight timeline and there's some topics I'm like, no, I'm never going to get a book done in this short amount of time. So mm-hmm. I chose very selectively what I was going to write about. So I write all the books, get to 3,200 a month in income. And then January, I decide to put four books together into a box set called the wealthy writers series. And I took one of my top books, which is called 28 Books to 100K, and some of my other books for writers, and I put them together and I created a box set. Then uh, February, I did another box set with my top book, How to Find Your Passion, and I put the four books in that. So I'm like repurposing my, my books now. Mm-hmm. I've got a Spanish version coming out this month um, of How to Find Your Passion. So now I can just probably for about at least six months, I can just repurpose all the books I wrote. So I will get to 28 products, 28, you know, books, products, whatever. And I'll let you know if I hit the six figure mark when yeah. I get to 28, but I, I'm, I'm close. I'm getting close. That's I'm, awesome. I'm going to hit it this year. That's my goal. So that's how I got started in this whole book thing. And I just, I love books. That's basically it. I love books too. I love 
reading books. I love just having books, like being surrounded by books or just like holding books, like makes me feel good. Me too. Yeah. Like, like at night there'll be like books all over my bed. Books (laughs) on the. I mean, I do like in every single room in my house, I guarantee you there are books everywhere. Like I've I've had to clean out the bookshelf couple with a couple moves because moving books are not fun. (laughs) No, they're heavy, but I just love, I mean, I love reading them, but I also love just having them on the shelf, like just having them. Yeah. I it's, I don't, it's the weirdest thing. Like when I think about it, I'm like, why is that? But I don't know, maybe in a past life, I was an author or uh, a librarian or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you're going to write a book one day. I have the, I have a feeling you're going to, you're going to give birth to a book one day because yeah. I'm sure with all, with all the guests that you have and the business experience that you have, I just, like writing a book is just telling stories. Just, just yeah. like I told my Billy Ray story of how I found my dream was writing. I mean, honestly, if I didn't meet Billy Ray and re- read that book by Richard Bowles, I, I don't know where I'd be. Would I still be working in the legal job? Cause it was the safe thing to do. You know, mm. people were like, Oh, you got to stay with that job. You have benefits and you have vacation time. And I was like, but I, I like life sucks and I hate it. Like I yeah. didn't want to stay. Luckily they fired me. So yeah, <laughs> the universe works in mysterious way. Yes, it does. So, so I think that a lot of people, and, I, and I'm going to say this because it's definitely me, that when somebody says, oh, you should write a book, like I, I feel like in my head, I have like total deer in the headlights look like, <laughs> huh? Like, I don't even know. I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Like what, what would even my subject be? What am I going to write about? Um, you know, and then obviously be all a badass the- podcaster, yeah. know, like, <laughs> everything you've ever done in business that people ask you about to teach them. I know. I know. It's so funny because I think that when we innately know things at this point, like we've yes. been through so many things and we've done so many things and a lot of things are just second nature yeah. to us at, at, at a certain point that we feel like everybody else knows this too. So why would they want to read a book about it? Right. But there's a, that's an effect. And I forget the name of the effect that is, but it's like, a, there's a scientific thing behind it that like oh, your okay. brain actually says, well, this is like the easiest thing ever. So why do I need to teach that? You know, just like the writing. I never recognized that as like, I had a, like it came easy to me. So I thought yeah. everybody liked to write. It actually it comes pretty easy it. to me too. Uh, and it always has. Yeah, like I, even in college, I like went back to college after I had my oldest daughter. Okay. So I was like in my, you know, mid twenties when I went back to college and I had to take an English comp class. And I was the oldest one in the class because all the other kids, and it was a night classes too. And there were still like the kids were, you know, between like 18 and 22. And I was probably like 25 or 27 or, but I had had a lot of life experience up to that point because I just did you know, right. my life. Right. Um, and probably a lot of things that these other kids either hadn't gone through yet or, you know, everyone's life is different. So Anyways, you know, they ask us to write certain types of essays or whatever in these English comp classes. And 
um, the professor had said to me, you're, you're the best writer in this class. Like, he's like, I know that you're the oldest person in this. Like he wasn't saying it to be rude or anything. It was just pointing out a fact, you know, Right. he's like, so I know you have different and more life experiences than most of the kids in this class. He's like, but, um, see, I'd like to go back and see those written papers you did. Yeah. Well, I won an award. Yeah. I did. I won an award. So you you have a, a talent, a, a innate talent for writing. Um, yeah. But just like me, I did too, but I never really thought about it. I mean, I was just busy like living life and, you know, going after a career and all that yeah. stuff and raising my kids. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I feel. And I also always would write about something that meant something to me. Like if yes. it was, um, even if it was like a persuasive paper, like, forget it. I could debate for days on something that I totally believe in like <laughs> days. <laughs> don't get in a text war with me, please. No, no. I won't, don't quit. Get... I won't yeah. stop. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> me neither. I'll write like chapters for the responses and you'll yeah. just get sick of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or a descriptive, like, yeah, it's just it's just funny how, when you go back and look at it, you're like, Oh, I, I am pretty good at that. Like I can tell a story like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, I think what it is, is like getting the story out of your head and onto paper. And so people are like, so where do I begin? Like, yeah. And it's right. I think honestly, for me, it's really choosing the one thing that you're going to write about because that's, part of my, I don't want to say problem, but that's part (laughs) of my, you know, personality is that like all, I want to tell you everything. I want to share it all. Your personality is more of like an idea generator. I I am an idea generator too. And that's probably why it was good that I worked with clients because I live vicariously through all of their books. Like, Mm. I'm like, oh my God, this is the topic and here's the subtitle and you got to write that, you know, and I love it because I can't write all these books. So now I can get my clients, you know what I mean? Like some of them come to me with no book and no idea, no title. And some of them come to me, you know, the book's already done or whatever, but still, it's like, I, I can relate to having too many ideas. Now for years, I've kept a title journal. So I probably have like 500 titles written down. They just come to me every day and I just mm. I write them down. I'm like, and then sometimes I use them for my clients books. I'm like, oh, here's a great title. You should do this. I know um, every time I see a really good title, I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, if you started writing them down, you probably do think of them. If you were yeah. like not looking for them, you know, like when you're talking to somebody and you're like, wow, like I, oh, like I can have a conversation and find five titles for a book from a conversation with somebody. I'm always mm. like, my radar is set to think in yeah. terms of titles. And uh, so, you know, you probably have like so many things that you could write about. And that's probably you know, I always say writers are very troubled people. We're the only, and they're the only um, title that has the word block after it, like writer's block. We don't have plumber's block. We don't have electric electrician's block. We don't have school teacher block. Like, why do we have writer's block? And I, I think what it is, is creative, the, right. The fear of the blank page. Uh, I got too many ideas. So I don't, I don't know where to start or what to write about or how to, you know, how do you make a book? Like, what is it? But um, what I teach um, in um, my program at some of my programs is mind dump. 
Mm-hmm. And so you kind of just, you know, take post-it notes and you think of different topics or whatever, and you just get them all out of your brain. And then, like you said, you have to have some emotion around it. There were books I started when I was doing the whole book a month thing. I would write 40 pages. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. So mm-hmm. now I got to start all over. And it's like the 12th of the month and I have to start over and write like another book. And I, yeah, yeah those were not good months when I did that, but I wasn't feeling it like the emotion wasn't there and I so I um the easiest books and and that's really what I wrote was I wrote what I knew like um one of my books is called make money while you sleep work from home and make six figures um quit your job and follow your dreams mm-hmm. um and I used to teach these classes too I I taught at adult education centers community colleges I taught at unity church so I used to teach classes and then I just took the content that I was teaching and then I just put it into books, you know, and I also used to have online courses. Yeah. And I think you just like, just nailed it right there for every entrepreneur listening ever. Like take the content that you've already created and put it in a freaking book. And and I was going (laughs) to say that with you is like, go back and look at every podcast you've ever done. I mean, you have topics, right? I I mean, I'm sure they, they, some of them may happen organically of who you're interviewing. So me on books, right? Oh, this is the book lady. We're going to talk about books. Mm-hmm. Oh, whatever. The book lady. <laughs> I am the book lady. Yeah. But you know, last year when I first started my podcast, it was all guests. So I would have all guests and not that there wasn't a lot of, you know, me in those podcasts because there were, because it was a discussion just like we're having right now. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do solo episodes. Oh, okay. So I think I did one or two last year, but this year I've decided that every other week is going to be a solo episode. Oh, good. Yeah. So it's almost, I would kind of think of that as coming up with a title or a subject of a book because I could talk for way more than an hour (laughs) on a lot of the subjects that I talk about. But I also know that the people listening want it to be, you know, a, a, a ingestible size podcast episode. Yeah, and a, so, a focused topic, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I try not to go over an hour. Some of them have gone over an hour, but not many. Um, and if I feel like there needs to be a part two, <laughs> there's a part two. So, but writing a book is different because you, it could be as many pages as you want and people can just ingest it as they need to or want to. Well, let me tell you about a guy who wrote a 22 page book this summer and made a hundred thousand dollars on the month. Mm, tell us. His name is Alex Berenson and he was a New York times reporter for 12 years. I never knew Alex Berenson. He only came, he only came up um, in my business because I was um, publishing a book for a doctor in Florida. Now this doctor was also a lawyer and he had been a state representative in Florida. I mean, he, and he wrote a book called Corona lessons. Well, Amazon blocked the book and said, Oh, you can't write about anything. Corona, anything COVID. We're like, what? This this book was, oh my God, it was well-written, well-researched, 500 footnotes, everything documented. It was like, here's the lessons on what we did good and what we could do better. Like mm. have another, you know what I mean? It was a great, it's a great book. Yeah. Well, he got blocked by Amazon. 
And so he came to me and we, like I was working with him when we were trying to publish his book. And he said, yeah, Alex Berenson get, got blocked too. And you know how Alex Berenson got his book unblocked? I'm like, wait a minute, who's Alex Berenson? You know, like I didn't yeah, even know. Yeah. You're like, who? Who? Uh, am I supposed to know him? Well, anyways, he was this New York Times reporter and he wrote um, a book about um, the untold truth about whatever, how they did the COVID testing. Mm. And he was, he's an investigative reporter and he said like things weren't adding up. So he goes, I'm going to write like a few um, short books because things are, are like fluid in this topic. So he wrote a 22 page book, part one, like the cover is gray with black letters on it. Like it's that there's no design. It's 22 pages. I looked at the numbers. I did a screenshot. That book made over a hundred thousand dollars in the first month he launched it. Then he did part two, but probably made over another hundred for that one. That was 36 pages. The third book was like 40 pages. So people think like you have to write the manifesto. You don't, you could Mm -hmm. literally, I mean, if you have a topic that people really want, and I call it reverse engineering your book, like know what people are looking for on Amazon. You can, I mean, there's um, tools that you can find out what people are searching for on Amazon. And then you write a book about that topic, you know, using those keywords so you don't have to write a long book. But um, anyways, long story short, we uh, Alex Berenson got his book unblocked because Elon Musk somehow got involved in that and got it unblocked. And then for my client, he had um, uh, one of the senators, I won't, I won't name one of the senators called Amazon and they magically unblocked the book. Huh. Interesting. You got to know people in high places. I guess. <laughs> Anyways, short books, 100 pages. Amazon has a whole category called short reads. And the first category is one to 11 pages. The second one is like 12 to, I don't know, 30 page, you know, so they have all these different categories. So you don't Mm. have to write a long book. You could literally probably transcribe one of your podcasts and and, uh, make a few edits to it and, and publish it as a book. Um, so a lot of people, if they've been coaching, teaching online courses, having podcasts, um, you know, uh, we were talking about clubhouse earlier, you know, topics. And it was funny. I listened to Seth Godin the other day on an interview and somebody said like some of your, you know, blog posts go viral, you know, and some of them like don't do anything. And, um, Seth was like, uh, yeah, well, if I knew which ones were going to go viral, I'd only write the popular ones. Like, (laughs) it was really funny the way you said it. And, and Seth also said said something funny too about books. He said one book, I spent a year writing it and another book I spent 30 days. And the book that took me 30 days to write outsells the book that took me a year, 10 to one. Wow. And that, that was the biggest lesson for me. I used to think books took a long time too. Everybody does, right? Oh, mm. I have clients come to me. I've been working on this for five years, 10 years, two years, whatever. And they can't get it done. That's why they, they come to me yeah. is they're not, they're not getting it done. And I understand, but now that I've written a book a month, I'm like, oh no, like it's not that we're going to be in, in 12 weeks. We're going to have the book written, edited, formatted, book designed, published, launched, and done. And then you'll be on to media interviews and go talk about your book now in 12 weeks. Like you don't, it doesn't have to take that long. So that's what it taught me is if you give yourself too much time, then it will take that much time to do, to, to write the book. But Mm. if you're on a tight timeline, like I was, I don't know why I thought I'm going to write a book a month, but now that I've done that, I've seen other people 
talk about writing a book a month. And I saw one guy who was doing a book every two weeks. So I'm like, all right, I'm not the the craziest person out there. (laughs) Yeah. So while those are, I mean, I would assume have to be relatively short reads every two weeks. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know the, the guy that said he's a fiction writer, the guy that said he was writing a book every two weeks, but they call it in the fiction world, they call it rapid release. I don't know why they have their own term for it. Um, but what they do is (laughs) it's weird. It's like, you know, you think of like, I don't know, like a gun, boom, 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 boom. But what they do is I think they write all the material. So everything's done, ready to go. And then boom, they, they launch the one. And then like maybe two weeks later, they launch another one, like in a series of books. And that works really well. And that's what I realized too, with my books is like, put them in a series, just group together the topics. So I have books for authors and writers, and then I have books about career. You know, I have a book called career path resuscitation, how to find your passion. So I take all like the career books and passion books, and then the books for authors, I will say this, the books that didn't do really well were the self-help books for women. So um, they didn't do well. Really? I know. I'm like, I don't understand (laughs) because I was like, you know, that's what I really wanted to to write about was um, self-help books for women. So I wrote um, Red Dress Energy, A Woman's Guide to Embracing Her Seven Magical Powers. I wrote a book called Love Yourself Big, a guide for women who give um, give too much, and um, another book called Girl Boss, and they really did not take off at all. I mean, I did a launch. I did them the way I always do all my books, and um, so now I realize it's just like anything. You don't know it's going to take off. You you just have to put your best foot forward, right? Just like your podcast. Some shows will be more popular than other and yeah. others. And that's what I'm realizing now is like three of my books, basically, or four, make 80% of my income right now. So was it was it a waste to write the other books? No, because I don't I didn't know which books were gonna like resonate with people. So I always I always tell clients the market decides what they like. Like you you write the best book and we put out a good product, but the market's gonna decide if they like it or not. Sometimes And you don't know what's gonna happen in a year, five years, ten years. Your book could all of a sudden go, well, the one that didn't. Yeah. Yes. I was just going to say that my book had to find, I mean, quit your job and follow your dreams. I actually wrote that way. I mean, a long time ago, 2012 or something. Then I did a second edition in 2018 and it never really took off. I'm wondering, cause it was 250 pages. It wasn't a short book. It was a very mm-hmm. long book. And I think people just, they see the amount of pages now and they're like, no, I can't read that in one night. So I don't want it, but mm-hmm. it's starting to like the rankings are starting to really pick up on that book. And I think because of everything going on in the world, people, a lot of people who are unemployed, underemployed, um, you know, their, their, whatever, uh, careers are being interrupted or, you know, um, because of COVID. So I think people are looking for new career paths. And my top book, How to Find Your Passion, which is 23 Questions That Can Change Your Life. I'm always amazed at how many books I sell per day on that. And I mm. just think that is a very hot topic. And the questions yeah. that are in the book, um, the reason I think that book does well is because Einstein said, and I, and I, um, open the book with this. Einstein said, if he had a problem and you gave him an hour to find a solution, he would spend 55 minutes coming up with the right question to ask. He said, because if you ask the right question, you will get the right answer. Amen. Einstein. And I was like, yes. And so I used to teach a class called ocean writing. And um, 
I used to do like timed writing exercises for the students. And it was great because I, I didn't want them to like get their left brain involved. I wanted their right brain. So I would say, all right, five minutes, answer this question. And they didn't know what the question was. And I'd say, don't take your pen off the paper because as soon as you take your pen off, you're, you're like going into your left brain, your logical mind. Mm-hmm. So I wrote these questions because questions are what changed my life. The Billy Ray question, the, the Richard Bowles question. And so I put together these 23 questions and I really think that people will find their passion and one of those questions um, will help them as they write and journal, you know, about that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of, a lot of that coming up lately, especially, you know, with women, what is my purpose? Um, you know, there, a lot of people are starting or picking back up on their spiritual journeys. Um, There's a lot of talk of, you know, universal energy and more of the woo right now. Um, because we've had a year to sit with ourselves. (laughs) It's it's like, we're all in timeout. Yeah, because we weren't we weren't behaving very well, I guess, or whatever. You know, well, we were all probably on automatic pilot. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like the universe was like, "Hey, everyone needs to slow down. Everybody needs like, to chill you're out." Totally missing the freaking point, guys. <laughs> yeah, I I was um I was interviewed the other day with three other women, and that was the question: what What wouldn't you go back to before you know before uh, COVID came? Like you know. In 2019, and what have you learned, you know, from that? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to listen to all the w- women. And the one woman said, um, "I would be more intentional with my yeses." Yeah. And I thought that was really good, you know, um, yeah. because I think we're—it's just like in our blood, we're just nurturers, and we are overgivers. I—that's I, why yeah. I wrote a whole book about overgiving, you know, yeah. because we do it to the point of exhaustion and burnout and until you have no more to give, you know? So and you're like, why can't I, you know, know. get anything done? Why can't I be successful? Why can't I, you know, these things? Well, because you're giving it away to everybody else. Exactly. And I, I can't fill it up. You got to fill it up. Yeah. My, um, my ex-husband, um, I think when my kids were younger, there was one point I had the job at the law firm and then I had like two part-time jobs. So I had three jobs and my ex-husband who had no jobs called me a job whore. <laughs> You're just a job whore. I was like, is that an insult? I can't figure out what that means, but yeah. yes, I, ha- I had actually if you, jealousy you, right there. That's exa- if you have three kids, you got to hustle. You got to do like, I was delivering pizza kits at night at 10 o'clock with three kids in the back seat after the law firm job all day. Like I was, I was doing whatever I had to do to make money to pay the bills. And Mm -hmm. so in a way it kind of made me more, I think I I have ambition just naturally, but it made me, I I had to make six figures because I didn't have any other income to take care of these kids. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, that's like being at rock bottom sometimes is the drive that's the drive to do the thing, you know, yep. um, hopefully Just, not all of us have to hit rock bottom to get to <laughs> get the drive I to do the thing. A great, um, a great podcast. And he said, why motivation sucks. And I was like, <laughs> that was the title of the podcast. Now that's yeah. really good. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and he said, um, motivation sucks because motivation wears off very fast. And, and, and he said, what we really need is drive. Mm-hmm. 
And I was thinking about like the difference between those two words and people always say to me, you know, um, that I'm motivated. And I always think, no, I'm not like, I'm, I'm like really lazy. What are they talking about? You know, they're like, Oh, but you know, you do this, 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 whatever, you know, and oh, you have drive. And it's funny because when we first started this podcast and you were telling me your story just about Billy Ray, I'm like, damn, that girl's driven. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, it wasn't, she's motivated. No, that's not what came to my head at all. It was absolutely driven. Driven. And I I never realized that because when people would say I'm motivated, I'm thinking I am the, like, I was offered a job years ago at the Lexus dealership where um, my son now works and he's the top number one salesman at Lexus. But the guy used to try to get me to work there. And he goes, oh my God, Michelle, you'd be so great. And, you know, you would make six figures. I go, you don't understand, Doug. I am a lazy salesperson. I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I want to work like no hours and make six figures. That's my goal in life. I am ambitiously lazy. (laughs) Yes. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Which which is why this passive income appeals to me. Um, You know, it's like, yeah, I can make, I have, you know, multiple six figures from the done for you, but the, I love this passive income thing. And now I have an online course that goes along with the 28 books to a hundred K. And I priced it really low and everybody's like, oh my God, that should be like a thousand dollars, 2000. I said, no, because then people have to think about it. I don't want people to think about it. I want to, and literally we were at eating sushi for my celebrating my son's number one award that he got at Lexus the other day. And we're sitting there and I look at my phone and like three people signed up for my online course at $297. Yeah. And I said, I'm treating sushi for everybody. <laughs> and they're all laughing. I was like, God, I love passive income. Why did I start doing this earlier? I would have already right? been making six figures from it. <laughs> right. And it was, you know, not, didn't even really need to launch the course because it came right off the back of the book it came right off the back of the book and that's another good point thanks for bringing that up is that if you write about what you know what you lived what your story is like a lot of people don't they don't want to share their story you know but that's really where the learning is for everybody is like you know where we came from to where we are now and the success we have it's like you know, share your story. And a lot of times, once once you um, get your books out there, you can see what's really taking off or resonating with people and create an online course about it. And I had this one guy, he's in my Facebook group, and he's like, well, what's different about the course than your book? And, and I've had people say they read my book seven times. I'm not kidding. I'm like, wow. seven times? Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can't. I, there is probably one book I've read seven times, but like, I just thought that... And it's good because it's short. So, but, Mm. but um, then they go join my Facebook group and then they go sign up for the course. But you know that you can't put everything into a book. Like I have a hundred pages. I, I, I had some good reviews that said this, this is like a masterclass, like this book, like five-star review. And, but I wanted, I wanted to teach them even more that I couldn't teach in the book because Mm -hmm. I need to show them things, you know, and like the step. Yeah. I call it a client, uh, I call it an ascension uh, ladder, but for people that don't, like, I've had people go, like, look at me, like, sideways going, what is an ascension ladder? Um, So it's just like your customer journey ladder. Like, how are they coming in? And then where are they going after that? Like, where are you leading them to? And how are they getting there? And And I will say it was hard to write, like, 
coming up with the curriculum, I kind of, um, I had procrastinated for a while on the curriculum for the bestseller stuff. And then, and then this new course, and I hired a copywriter. He's amazing. His name is Rob Schultz. And he worked with Suzanne Evans. I don't know if you know who she is, but he's, he's Suzanne just Adams, Ev- Evans, Evans. Oh. Oh. I can't think of what her program is, but anyways, he's phenomenal. And I hired him and I said, Rob, my course sounds really boring. Like, you know, research your categories, research your keywords. Uh, I don't know, like whatever, you know, I was just calling it what it was like for that module. And he goes, Michelle, he goes, you're still selling people, even though they bought your course, when they get in there, if if you don't label them, right, you don't title them, right, they're going to be bored, right? So for instance, we took the categories and keywords part, which is like very, very important to this whole thing, the bestseller list. And we mm-hmm. called it bestseller secret sauce. So now people get in there and they go, Ooh, what's bestseller secret sauce, right? Yes, like that more know. appealing than yeah. like research your categories and yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> so I learned that from the copywriter about um, the, t- the titles for your chapters, the same way. When somebody looks at a table of contents, you need to be intriguing. Like, you know, you, you know, don't give away your content with your table of content or your book description, you know, just, yeah. It's just write like writing about. an email, you know, writing an email header, like exactly. what are they, what's the first thing they're going to see in their email? Yes. You know, like what is going to make them click open that email and read it? Like if you say in the subject, did I ever tell you about dot, dot, dot? Well, they're going to open it because they'll be like, well, did I ever tell you about well, I don't know. Did you? Let me see. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. As human beings, we are very funny, aren't we? You know? Yeah, we're, we're curious. We're very curious. Very curious. And we don't want to feel like we're missing out on anything. FOMO, right? Yeah. You're so, missing out. So if you're leaving somebody hanging with like, even if you're just like, did I tell you, like you said, dot, 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 they're like, I don't know. Did you tell me, you know, or I would definitely open that email. I'd be like, did you tell me what? Yeah. So I just wrote a blog post that's called, um, how deciding to order pad Thai changed my business. <laughs> I love that. I gotta go read that. Yeah. So you know, if well, now I now I have to know. Tell me, tell me how. Yeah. <laughs> Give me it the was actually, version. Well, you're gonna have to go read the blood. No, I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> I will go read it actually, but yeah, that's awesome. No, it's all about deciding, like you know, making the decision, and how it's just you know very maybe that that'll be my book. Maybe that will be my book. That would be a very good book. Um, I have read a lot of books on decision-making because I think before writing a book a month, I also suffered from indecision. And um, I think there's even a term like decision fatigue, like if you make too many decisions or whatever. And Mm. so I think with books, um, the reason I probably wasn't writing any books for several years, there there was probably like a 10-year span. I didn't write any books. And the reason was, just like you said, well, I could write about anything. So I write about nothing, right? Because I'm like, I don't know, like, where do I start? Because I did have a lot of ideas, but like, but when you're on a book a month, it's like, 
you just pick it and then you roll with it. And it's like, Hey, it might do well. It might not. You're not that attached to it because I knew like, Hey, this might work. And it was actually like an experiment, the whole book a month thing. I did, never yeah. planned on writing a book called 28 books to hundred K. Yeah. I never planned on having an online course or a Facebook group. I was just doing an experiment for myself. But when I told people about it, can we write a book a month with you? Can we do this with you? I want to quit my job and write a book a month. And I was like, yeah. you want to, I, I, mean, I literally had one of my clients, he's a financial planner, quit his job. His freedom day was yesterday, March 1st. And he is now, he's already written four books. He's on his fifth and he's writing a book a month and he's doing all kinds of other things. But he, awesome. I was like, people are taking this seriously. Like, I think it's really sparking that creativity that's lacking in jobs and things when you're in you know, careers you hate and stuff. Yeah. Because you're not, you don't, well, for most jobs in corporate worlds, you don't need to use your creativity because somebody's telling you what to do, what yeah. goals to hit and how to do it. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, a double-edged sword, right? Because some people are like, okay, well, I can go to this job. They're going to tell me what to do, how to do it, blah, blah, blah. I just got to go there, show up and I get a paycheck, hey. right? Great. If that's what you want to do with your life, that's amazing. Go do that and go do it really well. But then there's those of us creative people that can do it for a little while, but then we're like, okay, I'm feel really stagnant. Like something's missing. I'm not, you know, soul crushing. Like you said, I, I, call it soul sucking because it's like it was it was like, literally <laughs> yeah. I talk I talk about that in several of my books. Like th- this is a topic that I repeat a lot about the soul crushing, the soul sucking job and the career creep and and how that happened, you know? Um and so many people can relate to that now. It's mm-hmm. like it's not just a paycheck. It's crushing your soul. It's sucking the the life out of you. Yeah, and then you like, don't have any energy to go after your dreams cuz your job's sucking it all out. Yeah. I mean I remember coming home and being just exhausted from sitting at a desk all day in a, yes. in a cubicle exhausted like I don't want to cook I don't want to do anything don't look at me don't talk to me like nothing and then you know and starting my own business and doing the things that I love to do I could do it all day long how did you transition from job to to entrepreneur yeah so it's very you know pretty basic I mean I was in corporate for 20 plus years wow um because I didn't know I could do anything else. I didn't either. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, not that I, not that I knew not, not that I didn't know that I had other gifts that right. I could, that I had, but I thought that was the only way you could make money. Like, Me because too. that's what we were taught. That's what we were taught. Uh, like that you was that go generation. to school, you get a job, you make money, you get married, you have kids, you buy a house, then you like retire and die. Like, that's just the way that the road was always paved before us. There was so. no other options. There's a there's a wonderful book by Tama Keeves called This Time I Dance. Mm. And she was a Harvard lawyer who quit her six-figure cushy job with a corner office mm. to become a writer and a teacher. And she literally, when she left the, the law firm, oh, well, she grew, she grew up in New York and she said, I grew up in a Jewish household. And guess what? They gave me two choices. You're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer. And yeah. she said, so I became a lawyer. And, and she was in that career, that very fast paced soul sucking career, didn't even know she was unhappy. And then a friend of hers said, Hey, let's go take this 10 day vacation at the beach, whatever they went on this thing. And she's sitting there and she says, I'm watching the waves crash. 
And I thought to myself, I can never go back to this soul. And she never had that thought before that day. She goes back, she downsizes from her very expensive Manhattan apartment. She, um, um, whatever. So she leaves the legal field. She's literally becomes a waitress at like the buttercup cafe down the street and she's serving like onion rings and burgers to the lawyers and they think this woman has lost her mind she was on track to be partner making all this money at the law firm and now she's like what is she doing she's a waitress and she's like i was buying my freedom back and the Mm -hmm. the less you have to pay the more you can play and she said so i bought back my time i had my days free and she said she slept for like 10 years she said i just had to catch up on sleep you know and then she wrote a book about it (laughs) the book that's amazing yeah but that's so true because we just don't realize sometimes what the problem is or that we even have a problem that we we want to change something she said yeah. it, take, it takes an intermission to find your mission. And that was, the intermission was her, her little beach break. And that's when she realized she had a problem. Yeah. I realized I had a problem. I was waking up every day going, I hate my job. How can I not go to work today? And thinking, mm. why do I hate? I didn't even really know. Like, why do I hate my job? I couldn't figure it out. But in hindsight, now I, I realized two things. One, I was more of a... Um, people person and I was stuck in a project job. So I wasn't, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was sitting at a computer all day and making copies and filing. Like how boring is that? I felt like a glorified gopher. I was like, right. Yeah. So I think that that was part of it. And then I just, like you said, there's no creativity. They just here edit this document here. Like you don't have to do anything creative. Yeah. Well, I realized that when I was so tired, when I got home from doing, not that I did nothing, but right. from sitting down <laughs> all day at a computer doing, you know, administrative things or whatever it was. Isn't it amazing how draining like, that is? Like, why am I tired right now? Like I sat down at a desk all day and I was like, oh, it's just mental tired. Like that was the excuse. Right. You know, like behind it. I'm like, oh, well, it's mentally draining. It shouldn't be mentally draining either. <laughs> I don't want to be mentally drained either. Don't want to be mentally drained. No, life's too short to be mentally drained. Yeah, so. no, I want to be mentally stimulated. I don't want to be mentally drained. So, so my, you know, that transition, it is hard to make sometimes because it's like, like you have to have a job to pay the bills. Yeah. And Elizabeth Gilbert did a wonderful blog post and um, she wrote the book, Big Magic and um, Eat, Pray, Love. But she wrote this blog post and she said the four distinctions, a job, you have to have a job because it pays the bills. A career might be something you have passion about. So some people have careers, not everybody. So career is something you have passion about. A hobby, don't mix that up with, you know, making a living from it. A lot of people make turn hobbies into jobbies. Yeah. And then there's the calling and the calling is like something that like, like the writing for me is a calling. Like I feel called to, to write. And if everything, like, even if I wasn't making any money, I'd still be writing because I love writing. And so Mm. she says, sometimes you get paid for your calling. Sometimes, you know, you don't. And so I think people have to understand those distinctions, but my, I make two two more distinctions. If you have a draining job, I call it the bondage job. So you were in a bondage job and I was in a bondage job. 
Yeah. I got out of there and got into outside sales. I worked 20 hours a week and made six figures and I loved it. I was like, why didn't anybody tell me like this job existed? Because I never knew. And I did that for 10 years. And that's when I started my website and the online business part-time and all that stuff. But I call that my freedom job. So you can have a job that doesn't drain your energy. Like Tama Keeves went and became a, you know, waitress serving burgers and fries and iced tea and cokes or whatever because it Mm -hmm. did like she didn't go home thinking about her job like you would at the law firm right you're like you know you take work home with you so you need a freedom job that's how you get out of that and then you know you have to go exploring too if you don't know what your passion is you have to try different things there's a great book by David Epstein called range and he says Go try a bunch of things, then pick what, you know, what you like. But if you don't go try a lot of things, people are just afraid to fail. Like, it's not about failing. It's about trying to see what you like. Like, I've done a lot of different business models. Like, I used to do web design. I did SEO. I've done coaching. I've done, um, you know, I did have a podcast for a short time. Um, Yeah, I've done a lot of different things. And you just have to see what you like the most and then do that. You know? Yeah. Yes. In in a lot of different aspects. If you are an entrepreneur right now, like you don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and have a Mm -hmm. podcast and write blogs every week and have a book and be on clubhouse and God only knows what else. Like you do not have to do that all the time. No, you you find what works for you, what feels good for you. And you go do that more. And Cal Newport talks about that in his book, Deep Work. Mm. He, he doesn't have an email. Like, I mean, well, I think he has an email account. He doesn't have a social media account. Like there's no mm. Facebook, there's no Twitter. There's no link. He has nothing. He goes, I've never, he goes, I think I'm the only millennial who's never been on social media. He goes, I can either write books or I can answer emails and social media and, you know, text and all that. He goes, I don't yeah. do that. I write books. Yeah. And that's, it's all what, what you I know, do. feels good to you and what works for you. Right. And what you are willing to quote unquote sacrifice Mm -hmm. and the boundaries that you're putting up around yourself to get the success that you want. And that success is going to look totally different for everybody. Like the lawyer that is now a waitress, she didn't care. It wasn't so much about the money. The success wasn't the money. The success was the freedom. Freedom. That, that, that's my main, like people go, why are you driven? Freedom. Yeah. I want a boss. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I want to wake up when I want, do what I want, you know, and have fun and be creative. And that's what drives me is freedom is the the force behind that. Yeah. So what are some of the, you know, tips that you would give somebody that's like, okay, uh, I'd love to write a book. Now what? Call me. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me. No. Call me. Um, well, you know, I, like I said, I did, I did create the, so the 28 books to hundred K online course, um, I did, I did price that very low and I, I actually, it's not just about writing a book a month. It's also about how to do the bestseller stuff, how to do the launches, how to market the book and all that. And I have gotten tremendous positive feedback from everybody in the course. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, if they want to ch- check it out is 28 books to hundred K because that tells, um, I talk about my process of how I wrote the books and all the obstacles. In fact, one of the books, I have a chapter called Write in Your Pajamas. Because anytime <laughs> I literally had to roll out of bed and go to my little writing desk and write, because if I did anything 
first, I did it right. If I went and made tea, if I went to Starbucks, if I ran errands, if I went and meditated, whatever, I couldn't do anything. I had to roll out of bed, write, and just do it, get it done with, and then I could do other stuff. Mm. So um, I wrote about that in a book called How Not to Write a Book, 12 Things <laughs> You Should Never Do If You Don't Want to Write a Book. So that that's a that's a good way. But I think um, I think you just have to write what you know. You know, write write what you know, but also make sure that the market is interested in that topic. So it's it's kind of like you know, yeah, you can write what you know, but make sure there's people searching on Amazon for that topic, or at least figure out what the topic is. Yeah, and you can. I mean, can you do that pretty much by the search bar in Amazon? Yeah. So when you go to the search bar, so if you go there and you type in how to find your purpose, how to find your passion, how to find your calling, those are actually great topics. I use a software called Publisher Rocket because it gives me numbers. So it'll say 1200 people are searching every month for how to find your passion. Mm. So I know when I write a book, like before I even write it, I actually do all the keyword research. You publish your book with seven keywords. So I go and do all the research and I go, do I have enough keywords and people searching for this topic that I think the book could have a chance at success? And if the numbers are good, I'll give you a great example. This, um, this couple from California came to me and they wanted to write a book on, and they were an older couple, I wouldn't say retired, but retirement age. And they wanted to write a book on English cottage gardens. And I was like, English cottage gardens? I've never done a book on gardening. Let me look at the keywords. I'll get back to you. So I do all this research. I do a video. I send it back. I go, no, I won't take you on as a client. If you write a book on English cottage gardens, you know why? There's like 12 searches a month for it. Like nobody's looking for English cottage gardens. And there was no successful books. I couldn't find any making any money. Like currently, like you said, maybe a different time, but not in this current time. I said, but I accidentally came upon a, um, a topic that you might want to write about. And this, this woman was like a real um, gardening type lady. You know what I mean? Her name is Wendy Silvera. And she wrote a, she ended up writing a book called Container and Raised Bed Gardening. Mm. Because those, they had like 2000 searches a month for raised bed gardening, container gardening. I guess people want, you know, control of the food, their food now. They want to grow their own food. So I said, if you write that book, I'll take you on as a client. We'll, we'll get the book done in the next, you know, 90 days. And so they came on as a client. She was phenomenal. She like really knows her stuff. She had diagrams written. She had charts done. She had, you know, how, um, you know, the types of plants you put together that, you know, make them do really well. Mm. There was a book making 25,000 a month. Wow. Um, I know. I was like, what? if I knew anything about gardening, I don't. Uh, I'd write a book about it. I would write it's a book a about very that. hot topic. Her book is <laughs> so well. She's she's doing podcasts now. She's being interviewed. She's been approached by like different gardening places that want to sell her book. I mean, and now she's doing gardening coaching. She has an Amazon gardening store. She has the book in three different, you know, formats. And she just built a whole business and brand around one book, but it was all because of keyword research. That's awesome. So research your keywords and research your keywords. Don't figure out your topic. Yes. Don't just write about what you know. So data. My, my coach, my um, business coach years ago, Jason said to me one time we were just testing Facebook ads and I'd pick out all these pretty pictures, you know, be like the beach with a book on it or whatever. And I'd go, Jason, don't you love this picture? He goes, Michelle, it doesn't matter what we, what you like, what I like. It's what the data says, go test the image. So we would test three images 
And all the time, it was never the image I thought that was going to win. It's always something unrelated to books. It would be like, I mean, the image on my website is like this beautiful island in the middle of like, you know, looks like the Caribbean with a gold Mm. path. That was the winning image every time. Sunflower fields always won. Beaches and sunflower fields. And I said, Jason, how come these images always work for like business stuff? He goes, because people want to, they're images that make them happy. And so they click on them. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Or images that give them the sense of the transformation they want. Yes. And I think the gold path leading up to the island was like the path to your dreams. Or yeah. some, there's something about that picture. I ended up using that picture on my website years later because I was like, that that image always did well with Facebook ads. I'm going to yeah. use that image. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Awesome. Michelle, this has been great. A lot of great information. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, really thinking about either really thinking about writing a book or they're just going to start doing it. (laughs) Awesome. I hope I've inspired some people. I love, you know, writing. And I, there was that book I read years ago. It was called, if you can speak, you can write. So literally Mm. if if you can talk, we now have apps called Rev, like go talk your book. I just, I just took on a client last week. He literally was at a hotel 10 hours. He spoke his book and he had a book. That's amazing. I was thinking that same thing because sometimes I can speak it better than I feel like I can write it or other times it's the it's writing. Like it all depends, I guess, maybe on. I haven't tried, I haven't tried the speaking thing. Actually. I always talk about it, but I've never done it. Cause I, I love to type. I don't know. There's just something about sitting at the keyboard maybe the legal days of doing that. And I type yeah. very fast. So I'm just, well, I talk a lot. So yeah, I think that talking might work well for you. Yeah. That's, your nat- that's your natural gift. I don't have that. Well, sort of, I don't, I'm really an introvert. People don't think I am, but I am. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think I am either, but I really am too. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So tell everyone where they can find you. Awesome. They can find me at bestsellingauthorprogram.com and they can get my quick start kit where I give away all the templates. You can take an author assessment and find out what your author archetype is and um, get a free training from me at bestsellingauthorprogram.com and then just click on free gift and you'll, you can sign up for that. Awesome. And social media, do you have Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Michelle Culp, and then Facebook. Um, I have 28 books to hundred K that's the group. If they're interested in joining, it's not like you have to write a book a month. You could write a book a quarter. You could write a book every, you know, six months or whatever, but sure it's full of of information. Huh? Full of information and support, really. That's yes, I have amazing people in that group. Um, And I'm very picky. I get so many requests for that group. And I said to my assistant, like, like, I'm rejecting half the people that want to be in this group. I go look at their page and I'm like, I don't know. They look, something's weird or something's (laughs) off. I just don't let anybody, I'm like really picky. I'd probably have double the size in that group, but. Do you have questions in your group before they join? And so if they answer, if they don't answer the questions, they don't get in. And if they say they don't want to write a book, then why do you want to be in my, in my um, group? So I'm not letting you in. Yeah, that's weird. You want to write a book? No, great. You're not getting in the group. Yeah, great. Not the group for you. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) And then I look at their stuff and they're like promoting all this weird stuff. I'm like, no, you're not going to like. Oh yeah. People yeah. are pro- like, just like trying to join a bunch of groups so they can yes. promote their stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm so sus- suspicious by nature. I come from the legal field. I don't trust yeah. easily. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Michelle, thank you so much for being here thank and everyone you. listening. 
as usual screenshot you listening to this episode just screenshot this episode and throw it up on your stories tag us tell us what your aha moments were tell us what you know i don't know what you loved about this episode and any questions dm us we're here and we'll see you in the next episode Have you ever wondered why some days you're so energized that whipping through actions in your business is a breeze and others you feel like you just want to go back to bed, pull the covers over your head and totally retreat from the world? Or maybe there are weeks where everything feels easier and the abundance is flowing while others feel like you're smashing your head on a brick wall and resistance seems to rule, leading to a shit ton of trash talk going on in your head. If you're anything like me and most entrepreneurs, you've tried to push through and keep hustling even when your mind, body, and soul are crying out for rest. Because that's what we've been taught we need to do to be successful. Go, 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 24-7. What if I told you that it doesn't have to be that way? Imagine just for a moment that you could create an abundant, profitable business without living on the edge of exhaustion and burnout. What if you could actually enjoy your business in a state of joy, ease, and flow? What if you could find that healthy balance of business, life, and self with all the guilt of not being on all the time? Well, you can. By understanding your own unique energy, clearing out the old stories that play on a loop in your head, and replacing them with upgraded, next-level, empowered versions that are aligned with your vision, kick-ass strategies, and awesome business coaching to move your business forward, you don't always have to be on in order to be successful and get big things done. In fact, it's not natural or healthy and could even be a barrier to the ultimate success of your business. Knowing when to floor the gas pedal and when to hit the brake, you'll no longer need to push or force your way forward. Instead, you can switch into receiving mode, find your flow, and be the limitless, abundant being you were created to be. I'd like to introduce you to the Elevated Entrepreneur Membership. In this vibration-raising community, I am bringing you the first business-building, spirituality-driven membership that shows you how to apply the principles of energy, spirituality, mindset, and strategy to grow your business from the inside out for lasting success. Check out the link in the show notes or visit my website, theelevatedentrepreneur.net, for more info.